It's the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast with your host, Jill Riley. On this podcast, Jill explores what faith can look like after trauma. Hi, I'm Jill Riley. I am an author and a minister. I am also a trauma survivor and live with complex PTSD, depression, anxiety, and a dissociative disorder. My prayer is that post-traumatic faith will bring you hope and joy in your own journey. Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley, and I am excited and honored today to introduce you to Karen Jane Casey. Hi, Karen. Hi. Thank you so much for letting me join you. Oh, it's wonderful to have you. Let me tell you a little bit about Karen. She graduated from Radford University in Virginia, served the Commonwealth of Virginia for over 31 years in the areas of auditing, accounting, and risk management. In her personal life, Casey has faced obstacles i.e. life-threatening child abuse, domestic violence, loss of loved ones, physical issues, etc. It's her gratitude for the Lord's mercy and rescue that motivates her to share her testimony of hope and faith. Casey served four years on the board of directors of Yeshua's House, a faith-based safe haven for women and their children overcoming domestic violence and financial hardships. She is currently with the advisory committee for the board. Karen Jane Casey is her pen name and business name as she writes books and presents a weekly podcast, Turn to God with Karen, to encourage others along their journey. Well, thank you for sharing that information with me, Karen. That is that is a, a mouthful. You've been a busy lady. Yes, I have and enjoyed it thoroughly. <laughs> yes. So how long have you been podcasting? Um, it's been over five years now, every week. Every week. And yes. what do you enjoy about podcasting? I enjoy sharing about the Lord. Uh, I love to share my testimony. I love to encourage people to overcome their challenges in life, whatever they might be, to always turn to the Lord. And nothing is too big for him. Nothing is too insignificant for him to handle. And I also share about the good news of Jesus. And I give the salvation message whenever I can. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, tell me a little bit, something about yourself that's interesting that wasn't included in the bio. What's something we don't know about you? Oh, gee. <laughs> um, well, I, I don't know. Um, I have um, been in abuse, I guess, 70% of my life. Mm. And, um, you know, as a child, you have no choice about it. But then as you grow older, if you were if you were started out in that, you don't realize that there's something else in life. And um, that's that's why I am a domestic violence advocate. So I guess that would be the thing that you don't know. I have been through a tremendous amount of hardships. And I don't mm-hmm. have a beautiful story, though, because God rescued me over and over again. Yeah. So let's um, let's back up and just tell me a little bit about your childhood. What was it? What was it like? Um, I started out in a very dysfunctional and violent home. I was the oldest of six children. Um, my first memory is of me when I was three years old in the bedroom. My mother would come in and she would be screaming hysterically and beat me in the head with her fists or with a brush or whatever. And my baby sister would be right there watching it horrified. And my father would be in the house somewhere. But And he would hear the screaming and the hits, but he never came to my rescue. He never mm. did anything about it. And unfortunately, that was an ongoing pattern. 
of abuses towards me and my siblings. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there what was it, a lot of craziness in that home. <laughs> what is it that would set your mother off? What was the trigger for her? That was the thing. We never knew we could be as good as we could be. And then suddenly it would happen. There was no way we could prevent it from happening. Mm-hmm. She had such an anger and upset in her. I, I don't know. Uh, well, it was later found that she was mentally ill. Okay. Yeah. You know, uh, there were things in her childhood that she had a lot of anger and resentment and sadness about. And I talked to her siblings and they didn't have the same outlook. So maybe it was just the mental illness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, having grown up in an abusive home uh, myself, I think that unpredictability, that not knowing the trigger leaves you with this, um, well, left me with PTSD, but leaves you with this, this constant um, hypervigilance, right? right? Over, over, you know, what's going to happen next? And is this, is this person or this event going to trigger something? And, and uh, you're constantly kind of watching your, watching your back and, and uh, just to see what's going on, right? Yeah, just a few months ago, someone startled me at church and I screamed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still have startle effect. You can't get yep. rid of it. <laughs> yeah, I do it's, too. Yeah, it's part of the PTSD. You know, before we, um, before I was diagnosed with PTSD, it was a big joke in my house because people could startle me so easy and I would just jump out of my skin and it was this big fun game until we figured out that it was the PTSD. It's like, well, this isn't a good joke to play on mom anymore. You know? <laughs> That's right. I, I went through that at work and coworkers thought it was funny until I sat them down and I said, look, <laughs> this is PTSD. It's not funny. <laughs> right. Right. I think people don't realize, you know, how embedded those, those triggers are. So that unpredictability really does put you on unstable ground. Right. That's right. That's right. So, what does, um, I was writing questions for you and I was just thinking, can you describe to me what domestic violence feels like to a child? Like how does, how does a child um, absorb and accommodate that in their brain? Um, I think for me, my parents weren't really physical very much, but they would scream and argue and he would do nasty little things on the side to make trigger her anger and upset. And we would look at it and it's like, um, are we invisible? I mean, what about us? They didn't know where we were or Mm. anything. A lot of the time we would go out a long ways from the house and, and play in the woods for hours and hours. And they didn't really even know where we were, nor did they care. I mean, they were so into themselves with their domestic violence stuff that we were pretty much on our own. Invisible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was there addiction in, in the home? No, there was no, no addictions, no alcohol, no drugs. Uh, I know that's unusual, but uh, her treatment would make you think that she was on drugs or alcohol, but it was the mental illness. Mm-hmm. And when you say mental illness, yeah. what did she have a diagnosis? No, back or? then they just treated everybody the same. And she did when I was 11 years old, they did finally determine she was mentally ill. And we were moved from Ohio to West Virginia and she was put in a mental institution and we could only visit her. And um, she was drugged up 
just like everyone. I think that's where they got the idea from Walking Dead, because when they let them out to visit everyone, they were like the Walking Dead, everyone. I know they didn't have the same diagnosis, but back then they were all treated the same. Mm. So how long was she institutionalized? Uh, She was institutionalized till I was 17 and she got pregnant. So then they didn't want to take care of her and the baby. So they sent her home. Mm. So we watched out for each other as much as we could. And then one stormy evening, she slipped out with my baby brother. He was only six weeks old. We discovered it in the whole town, searched for them throughout the night. And the next morning, they were found at the bottom of the rock cliff behind my home. She was dead, and my baby brother was severely handicapped. So there was no investigation because, you know, she had the history of mental illness. But some people in among my family members thought that it, she had been murdered, and they were afraid that somebody was coming after them. I believe that she committed suicide. And um, everyone felt guilty. Everyone that knew about the situation and did nothing to help us should have known. And and then this happened. So it was horrible. Well, uh, that that is just unthinkable. And and your brother lived with um, with disability then. Yes, he was like a baby. He only knew five words, and I really doubted that. And he never learned to walk. He lived for 30 years as a baby and then died of pneumonia. And coincidentally, my dad died a year later of pneumonia. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess he hadn't, he, my baby brother was his purpose for living and, you know. So he, he participated in and parented him and, and. Uh, I think he was his cross to bear for all that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So how was uh, your home after your mother was institutionalized? Uh, how was your home with your father? Was it more peaceful with your mother not there? No, I was a teenager then and I was very angry with him because of the years of neglect. He loved my sister. He loved on her and kissed her, hugged her. And she was special to him. He never had affection for me. And I was so angry. We fought about everything. And then he um, joined another religion and they, we argued about that. And uh, I'm just so glad that we came to a forgiveness before he passed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, definitely. And um, that's where physical fighting was because I had so much anger in him, in me. I wouldn't back down when he would hit me. I would fight with him, literally. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, a little tiny thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, how our earthly fathers are uh, affects how we see a heavenly father and how we see God. How do you think your relationship with your dad affected uh, how you saw God? I saw God as um, not really accepting me and not caring about me or a lot of the time. And and, and men in general, I was needy for them, but then I didn't um, believe they cared. And um, in 1975, I was saved. And so I, I did believe that the Lord was with me, but I didn't believe people were. And, and time and time again, you know, I had opportunity to prove that to myself <laughs> through um, 
various situations. And um, then um, where I was in, right out of high school, I married someone who was also from a broken home. And it didn't, didn't do well from the very beginning, but we stuck it through for 10 years. And that was a horrible divorce, horrible um, he, he's the one with the money and authority. So I lost my home and my children. And, and it was like, he just kind of threw me in a ditch mm. and along came, a, a knight in shining armor. I'm sure God sent him to me and he just picked me up and, and we had a wonderful marriage and he was older than me. So it was like, I got the father that I never had too. And he sent me through college and it was just when I was starting my career path that he passed away. Mm. And that's when I was talking about wandering in the wilderness because I was floundering after that. I was devastated. What and did he pass away from? Heart attack. Mm. So he must have been fairly young. How old was he when he passed away? He was 50. Wow. He, was, he was 20 years older than me. But still, we thought he would die in his 70s or 80s or something like right, that. Right, right. No, we had no idea that our time together would be so short. So did you ever get your children back from your first husband? Yes, I did. But, um, you know, I was a mess after my husband passed and it wasn't long before I fell into the hands of a very charismatic, but evil man. And he was so much like my mother. I couldn't escape him. I mean, he would be very affectionate, loving one minute and then very cruel and abusive the next. And that's what seemed normal to me that I had with my mother. Right. And um, he even tried to kill me and I stayed with him, which is typical of women in domestic violence. I was in the shelter for two weeks and then I couldn't wait to forgive him. And I thought that meant going back to him and I dropped charges and I went through another year of torment and abuse and um, I cried out to the Lord for forgiveness and to, for mercy, and he provided a way for me to escape. Mm. Well, there's a lot in what you just said that I, that I want to ask you about. Um, uh, first of all, what is it we, um, I think, generally are aware that when it comes to domestic violence and abuse, that women especially will a lot of times forgive and try to go back to their abuser. What motivates that? What drives that when you see women that are in such heinous situations and yet they're compelled to go back to their abuser? What is the motivation there? I, I can only speak for myself, but I had very low self-esteem to start with. And so I was needy. I think I was like a beggar. It was like, oh, please, please love me. Please be kind to me. And, and so I kept believing that, that it would get better, that they would see value in me and, and change. And so that, that hope and that neediness made it seem like a loyal love, but it was it was not right. <laughs> right. At what point do you suggest um, for a victim to detach from their abuser? Is there a, is there a breakover point where you say, okay, this is enough? Or is every situation individualized? I guess every situation is individualized because the breaking point will be different from one person or another. One person um, 
They may see them taking over their finances and say, okay, that's it. Another one, oh, you hit me. That's it. With me, uh, all my money was taken care, taken over, and I was getting beaten and tortured and everything. What it was, though, I thought through it all that he was faithful. And then when he proved that he was not faithful, that was my breaking point. Okay. But um, we all need to have a breaking point sooner than later because some women do not get out in time. Some do not get out. Yeah. How many women are affected by the the teaching that you can't divorce a husband or can't leave a husband for any reason um, spiritually that that's not okay? Is that is that a big impression on a lot of women? It I, I think probably not so much nowadays, but that was what kept me in my first marriage for 10 years. And it was not a good marriage. And I thought that for the kids' sake, that I would stay in it. But my son became abusive with, with women. Even though he saw it as wrong, it was in him because he had, had it demonstrated in front of him. Yeah. No, it wasn't good for the kids. It wasn't good for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't good for the abuser because they, they become more abusive. Right, right, absolutely. So, how did you finally get out um, of of that of that relationship? I just uh, <laughs> well, that was a floundering because you know i I got out and i I lost everything. So that was that was pretty rough. Well, and and then with the uh, one that tried to take my life, I mean, thank God he wasn't successful at that. And after I had left that relationship, he kidnapped me for a weekend and tried to get me to take my own life. And to to tell you the truth, I was at the point of thinking that I had no hope. But I looked at him and he was so eager for me to take the pills he handed me that I I, out of stubbornness, I wouldn't do it. And I just let him talk. That's just that's just unthinkable. Um, I I just can't imagine doing that to another human to encourage them to um, end their own life. I just, I can't imagine a set of circumstances that makes that okay (laughs) at all. Um, I really felt that man was a psychopath. He faked a conscience. I mean, he would, and, and, and maybe people have seen that in other people when someone seems to be sad, when other people wouldn't be reacting that way, or they seem to have empathy when it's, you know, kind of out of kilter. Well, they're probably pretending to have a conscience. Yep. Yep. Well, the sociopathic behavior, um, you know, feels to me like they can mimic good behavior and mimic um, compassion and empathy, but it's not really in them, you know? And so it goes out the window as soon as their own impulses take over. Right. That's right. That's, that's what I saw in that relationship. And thank God that um, I, he didn't kill me and he didn't get me to kill myself, but yeah. Right. What a miracle you are. So you say that you have um, felt like you've wandered in the wilderness, like the Israelites of the Old Testament. Um, what does that mean to you when you say you wandered in the wilderness? Can you describe that a little bit to me? 
Um, well, I was saved, but my sanctification process, <laughs> there were a <laughs> lot of detours and potholes along the way. You know, sometimes we get pushed into the pit. Sometimes we slip into it and sometimes we jump right in. But the Lord is there to, to rescue us. We need to turn to him. And I feel like I was like a little balloon because I've, I had low self-esteem and I looked to circumstances and people to give me my value. And so I was guided by the opinions or the circumstances that happened around me. I didn't have a mm -hmm. firm foundation. I didn't have the, the self-esteem that I needed to have. I was still looking at myself as an unloved victim. And I was a loved child of God, but you have to know that you're a loved child of God mm -hmm. to walk in it. Yeah. You know, in the in some of the uh, counseling worlds, they call that other esteem. Like it's not self-esteem, it's other esteem that you need that from other people in order to buoy you and to hold you up. And uh, I've lived in that world, you know, where it just was so important that everybody else everybody else see me as put together and, and accolades and all of that. And that that's an empty, that's, that's an empty and hollow uh, esteem, right? It doesn't, doesn't have the worth and value of feeling your own self-esteem. That's true. And I look back on it now and I worked to prove to them that I was of value and I would even boast about myself. I would try to achieve things. So it's like, look, Look, I am somebody. And <laughs> that's so sad. <laughs> yeah. So how do you feel like you have broken that pattern? Or have you broken that pattern? Oh, yes, I've broken that pattern. God first. Always God first. <laughs> He's always been through me, through every been with me through everything. And um, you know, I just do the best I can. And, you know, if people fall away, they fall away. I used to be so hurt by rejection. And now I feel like, you know, rejection's not a bad thing. If someone is toxic and they don't want you in their world, that's good. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be around people who are mean-spirited. And, you know, it's rather to be around people who build you up and are like-minded. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and I really hope that... Um, in my own life that as I, as I continue to heal and to move and to grow that um, I will draw people um, that are like-minded to me and that um, people who are, who are like-minded will, will want to be um, a part of, of, of my life and that the, the toxic people um, become further and further away from my core. And I think that is what happens. They, they just naturally go further and further away and, you are attracting, you have light in you and you're attracting light. Right. Right. So you've been through so much um, with, from the abuse and the rejection and um, you know, from as a child. Uh, so what purpose do you feel like you have drawn for your life and from, from these experiences? Um, how did you find your purpose and what is it? Um, well, I found my purpose um, when I met my husband that I'm married to now. <laughs> I had gone through a long recovery after 
being in that life-threatening domestic violence situation. Mm -hmm. And I felt the Lord wanted me to write it. And I wasn't ready to share personal stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah. But I typically, like I would go to bed, I'd work full time. I'd go to bed at one o'clock in the morning. I would see a whole paragraph and I ignore it and it'd be flashing, flashing, flashing. And so I'd say, all right. And I'd go to the computer and start typing out my story. I thought I was just doing it for myself, really. And um, my husband would come in at six in the morning with coffee. Oh, are you going to work today? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And um, so that went on and on. And I finished My Dear Rosa Jean. And then I realized that I was supposed to publish it. So I changed it to fiction. And I used a um, pen name because that was the only way I could make myself get it out there. And it's all about getting into domestic violence, living through it, and then getting out. And I included the scriptures and things that the Lord had gave gave me throughout that process. Mm -hmm. And it has helped women who are uh, overcoming domestic violence. And when did you publish that? That was in 2014. Okay. Congratulations. That's great. And so um, I just, uh, before we talk kind of about your website and books and your podcast and all the things that um, you're, you've been gifted to do now, I just had one, one more question. Um, You say that God has always been there for you in the midst of your circumstances. And I just wondered if you could describe to our listeners, um, how do you know, how do you know that God has been with you through all those circumstances? Okay, I can make it very descriptive. Uh, Like I said, when I was three years old, my mother started beating me in the head as hard as she could with her fists or a brush. And that went on for some time. But, you know, I graduated from college and I had a good career and I'm able to write and do podcasts now. That's God. God Mm -hmm. intervened in that. When I was with um, the person I considered a psychopath, at one point, he um, was going to throw me down the stairs. So I held on to the door frame of the bathroom and he was slamming the door on my wrist, both of my wrists, screaming, let go, let go. And I wouldn't let go. And it kept slamming it on my wrist. And so I had carpo tunnel for a while. Guess what? I'm fine now. I don't even hurt. And I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. That's how I know without a doubt. And look at me, I'm alive. They tried to kill me and God gave me a word to say. And he was so confused that he sat aside and I was able to run. That's God mm-hmm. over and over again. And was I something special? No, I wasn't something special. God loves each and every one of us so much more than we could ever love ourselves. And he wants us to cry out to him for help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just I love those tangible examples because I I feel the same way through through my life. I feel like there are there are just some very uh visceral moments where you say I know that God protected me in that moment and the the result of that is look at where where I am in in my healing and my process and and all of that. So I'm so um grateful to God that he's been so good to you. Yeah. And and like David, when he faced Goliath, 
he looked back and he saw how God was with him when he killed the lion and the bear as a shepherd boy. And, and we need to do that. We need to remember the times that God rescued us already mm-hmm. to have faith in the circumstances we're in. Cause you know, there's going to be challenges until Jesus comes. Right. And, you know, I think sometimes um, getting preachy here now, I think sometimes we're like, you know, Ahab in the, in the wilderness, you know, you just, I mean, Elijah in the wilderness, I mean, and you go from like this prophets of Baal and all of the fire from heaven and this great thing happens. And then all of a sudden you're running in the middle of the wilderness going, God, where are you? I don't, I don't hear you. I don't see you. I don't feel you. And we forget that God did this miraculous thing and we forgot and began to focus on our immediate circumstances and ourself and our own self-loathing and our mourning and all of that, right? Don't you find that sometimes? Um, Absolutely. And and actually, I have a a good example of what I went through because I watched it as it happened. But, um, you know, last year was hard for everyone. Mm -hmm. But um, before Mother's Day, my son passed away suddenly. Mm. And I was, of course, I was devastated. I felt myself going down, you know, into depression. And I knew he had been saved, but he wasn't able to get away from his addictions. Anyway, while I was going, I saw myself going down into depression. I remember, and God gave me this memory. I remembered a Joyce Meyer conference I'd gone to years ago where Darlene Seth got up there. She's a professional singer. She got up there and she gave a testimony about when her baby died. And God wanted her to sing. And she was saying, No, God. I can't sing. I don't have any happiness in Mm -hmm. me. I can't. But God kept pressing her. So finally she did sing. And in the midst of her grieving, she had an inner peace and joy. So I looked at that and I said, thank you, God, for the 48 years I've had with my son. And I, I didn't really feel it at the time, but I kept saying it until I was genuinely filled with gratitude for the 48 years I did get to spend with my son. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of my grief, I felt inner peace and joy. Mm -hmm. So while we're in the valley, we need to remember what God has done for us in the past. We need Mm -hmm. to rally ourselves from going further and further in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, tell us a little bit, Karen, about uh, your your activities. You're a podcaster. You're a domestic violence victim advocate. You're a writer. So tell us a little bit about your projects and what you're what you're doing. Okay. Well, last year I wrote. Um, a new song rises up, and it's nonfiction. It has bits and pieces of um, my life happenings. It's really kind of outing myself from my dear Rosa Jean, <laughs> and because that one was written in fiction. And what I learned from from it, and and God's scriptures from from the Lord, and then that's reflections. And then I have a study guide for people to do their personal reflections, and then. This year, I published Stand With Your Armor On, which in the introduction only, we have about the full armor of God, Ephesians 6, and about the the spiritual law of sowing and reaping. 
And then we have five fictional stories about conflicts that could be happening today. I mean, realistic conflicts and choices that we make within it, good choices, bad choices, consequences, Mm -hmm. and so forth, just for uh, people to make a reflection looking at today's life and, you know, now, are these are these books focused on victims of domestic violence, or are they more um, general Christian reader books? Um, they're they're not focused on domestic violence. Only my dear Rosa Jean is focused on. Okay. Violence. Okay, and so you're podcasting. My podcasting, I podcast three times a week. Every week, the first one on Mondays is um, Hope and Faith Journey. It's um, overcoming challenges with encouragement, different challenges that we may face. And and then on Wednesday, it's Sword of the Spirit, getting back to the armor of God, how important the Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is. And we cover passages in there. And then on Friday is Karen's Book Corner, where I share a little bit about my book, maybe read a little bit, give a background, or um, do a review of someone else's writing. Okay, great. What, are, what is the name of the podcast again? I didn't catch that. Oh, Turn to God with Karen. I probably didn't say it. <laughs> Turn to God with Karen. Okay, great. And your what is your website? How can people find you? That's right. Everything is on my website. It's um, KarenJaneCasey.com. Okay. And that is C-A-R-I-N-J-A-Y-N-E-C-A-S-E-Y, Karen Jane Casey. So uh, we will put a link of, the, of that up on our, up on our show notes. I, I just want to thank you for your vulnerability and sharing your story and uh, just letting us have a little peek into your world and your hurt and where God has been gracious to you. All right. Thank you very much. And um, I just want to encourage everyone, turn to God about whatever your situation is, you know, and like in Psalm 30, 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts today. You can follow Jill on social media on Facebook and Instagram, JillRiley.author, and on Twitter, JillRileyAuthor. Email Jill at JillRiley.org.